Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Today we do have, we have a special guest speaker, and today's message is going to be on healing prayer, but Pastor, Dr., Reverend, Brother, Dave Chaka, <laughs> the titles are endless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. He's going to bless us with a song first, and then uh, he's got a, a really cool message for everybody. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, God is good. All the time. All the time. So if you got to use all the titles, introduce me to the President of the United States or something. This year, anyway. <laughs> Just call me Pastor David and that will do. Anyway, I did earn those degrees and so I'm thankful for them. But uh, I have a song to teach you. I wrote this years and years ago. Can we get the first verse on the screen? I'd like people to see the words. I know you were trying to get them up. That's it right there. So I, so I read through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. I read through Ephesians 4 and I did it until I was blue in the face. <laughs> and eventually I came up with the reason why spiritual gifts are given. I'm going to be talking about healing prayer. But I'd like you to say the, the words to the first verse with me. Gift our hands that we might bring gifts of love to Christ our King. Oh, gift our lips that we might speak of your marvelous mercies to all those who see. Gift our eyes that we might see all that God would call us to be. Oh, gift our lives that we might grow to the stature of Jesus, the Savior we know. So I'm going to teach you the song. We'll sing it. Gift our hands. Wait a minute. Just a minute. How about give my lips so I can sing? Yeah, it's better. Okay, here we go. Here, try that now. Gift our hands that we Savior, we know. 
That's the reason for spiritual gifts. They're given not for you and me, but for him and for us to become one. Now, years ago, I was quite ill. I had something called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. We're going to watch a video of how Jesus of Nazareth healed me. Here we go. While I was talking to the doctor, my face paralyzed from the corner of this eyebrow all the way almost on a diagonal to the bottom corner of my right side of my face. I was unable to speak or control my face. My eye could not close. A week earlier on Father's Day 2013, Pastor David Chotka began to experience severe pain in his ear. I went to, to bed that night and I had excruciating pain all up and down my left side. And I began to sweat profusely. I sweat through four pairs of pajamas that night. Uh, someone asked me on a scale of one to 10, what was it? I said 11. When David visited a walk-in clinic the next morning, the doctor told him it was an infected mosquito bite and prescribed antibiotics. But the following morning, new symptoms appeared. I was shaving, and my wife came into the bathroom, and she noticed there was a red ring underneath my left ear. She came back a minute or two later and noticed that the ring had expanded. Five, six minute increments, it was getting considerably larger. It was quite frightening for us, and he was very ill. And someone over the age of 50 is never supposed to be recovered his wife Elizabeth drove him to the emergency room where doctors started a new round of antibiotics. David showed some improvement, but the following Sunday, things took a turn for the worse. I had had a piece of toast. And instead of it tasting like a piece of toast, it tasted like sugar. And that was strange. I thought something odd is going on here. Something's not right neurologically. And my lip began to paralyze. I couldn't feel it. It was like I had been to the dentist. And I called my wife and she looked at me and the paralysis was expanding out across my face on the left side in particular. David was rushed to the hospital where doctors diagnosed him with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, a severe neurological disorder caused by a shingles outbreak that affects the facial nerves. And he said, you are eight days and the, uh, the treatment window is usually two or three days when you discover that you have a shingles infection. I had a 40% chance of getting some of my face back. His wife and his church began to pray. Our congregation is about 1,200 people. Many, many, many people of that group were praying, plus our friends from other congregations we've served. David was admitted to the hospital for a round of steroid treatments, though doctors had little hope they would help. While there, he opened up a Bible. I was reading John and John 5, and the, the question of Jesus in John 5, to the man 38 years sick, he says this magnificent statement, you have been made well. And I knew I was talking to the Lord and not just reading a passage. David left the hospital 10 days later with no change in his condition. His doctor recommended he find another vocation. He said, you're probably not going to speak again. And I thought, oh, what a terrible thing. 
I was sleeping 16 hours a day, unable to get energy. Uh, it was scary, but the strange thing was, the solution when I became terrified, every single time that I would say, John 5:14, you have been made well. The gift of faith would rise inside my soul. I would know I was gonna be well, even though all the evidence said that I wasn't going to be. His church granted him a leave of absence, and friends and family continued to pray. Then this woman, Gail, said, I have prayed for you. And what has come to me is the story of Paul the Apostle when the shipwreck happened at the end of Acts of the Apostles. And they're building a fire, and he picks up a piece of wood to throw it in the fire, and a viper lands on his wrist. And, and he shakes the viper off into the fire. So this woman says, the enemy has taken advantage. You are to shake this off in the same way as the Apostle Paul shook this off. And then when you have become well, the Lord will use this as a platform. The following Sunday, David went to a neighboring church to hear his cousin preach. And a strange thing happened at the back of the church. There was a lady walked in. She got up and she said, the enemy has taken advantage, but you must shake this off. And when you do, the Lord will use this as a platform for the proclamation of the gospel. She said exactly what my friend had said just a few days before, that the small hairs rose on the back of my neck. David began to notice a change. I felt a tingling in the corner of the upper eyebrow. And that night, I was able to move and open and close my eyelid. So I called my wife again, and she came and she saw it, and she said, something's happening. The Lord is beginning the healing. And over the course of that week, all of it came back. When David returned to his doctor, he walked in the door, smiled, and winked. The doctor's reaction was, that's medically impossible. And I said, I know it's medically impossible. He said, but well, you have Ramsey Hunt. You, you can't do that. And I was going to talk to you about pain management and tinnitus in your ear going deaf. He said, this, this doesn't happen like this. I said, well, I, I believe that the Lord has made me well. Since then, David has shown no signs of illness and is back to ministering full time. Jesus is the healer. And it is very clear in the gospel that he came to heal. He came to love. He came to save. He came to deliver. It's a delight to be the recipient of it, as well as to watch other people receive it. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to testify that it's absolutely true. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Remember Gomer Pyle? You're too young to remember Gomer Pyle. <laughs> At any rate, I, I, I have a new book called Healing Prayer. I almost named the book Healing by Surprise because virtually everybody who ever does get healed winds up being healed and it's a great, astonishing delight to them. And I must tell you, if you have been under the weather and then suddenly you're well, it does feel remarkable. I had not been able to open and close my eye. Can you imagine me not being able to talk? Oh my heavens. You should have prayed for my wife. At any rate, there have been lots and lots and lots of people who have been healed by faith over the course of the ministry that I've had. And every single time, every single time where somebody got healed, it was always a miraculous and astonishing surprise. And in fact, uh, when my wife was healed, we'd given up praying for healing. She was afflicted with FSH, muscular dystrophy. 
And that meant that she would lie and die in a wheelchair. One of the reasons why it took so long to propose is because I knew my last days would be pushing a wheelchair. Her mother was in one, her sister was getting toward that direction. Her, her niece is now taking the same trajectory. And uh, there was a visiting bishop from Uganda who came into my church because we were doing, we were doing work there in, in Uganda to help them rebuild after there had been uh, absolute horror in the north part of Uganda because of Edie and Min and Joseph Coney. I won't tell you the horror stories, but uh, in the middle of the service, he gets up and he describes my wife's medical condition. Now, the church was jammed. That sanctuary sat 400 people. 650 people showed up inside the sanctuary. And, uh, of course, he was telling these deliverance from war stories. And, you know, there's cliffhanger stories with that, you know. just So, you know, he's in the middle of talking about somebody praying and somebody's about to get saved, and he stopped. And he looked at me, and he said, with his thick Ugandan accent, David, David, what is M.A.? M.A., Master of Arts. I don't know. <laughs> he said, no, no, I've got something wrong. And just like this, the pulpit was higher, but he put his head on that. And of course, everybody in the room was waiting for the end of the deliverance from death story from the guy who was about to get, you know, somebody was praying. And so they're all waiting, and it felt like forever. And then he looked up and he described this. He said, it was a wasting muscle disease. Starts in your head, goes down into your shoulders. Shoulder blades go out of position. You start feeling chronic pain from 16 to 20. Your back is curved, and you, you're gonna, if you damage your muscle, you never get it back. And then he said this. He said, whoever has this, Jesus has just healed you. Now my wife had not been able to raise her arms higher than this. And while I watched at her, she did this. Stand up, Elizabeth. Stand up. I want you to see this. Put your arms above your head. That was what happened. First time. First time in decades. Now, the other thing I can tell you something. There is an aspect of healing prayer that we don't very often preach about. It is the fact that your ordinary healing capacity in your body is also miraculous. Before she was healed, if she damaged muscle tissue, it vanished. And now it heals naturally. So even ordinary healing is healing. And all God's people said. In fact, I'm feeling constrained to tell you a healing prayer story where healing happens by surprise because the guy by the pool of Bethesda was not expecting to have a great day. He was expecting another day of ridiculous, awful, horrible, nasty, mean-spirited, low-based, depressing, grinding despair. And Jesus of Nazareth shows up, asks him a question, and the next thing you know, he's skipping around the town. Anyway, the first church I ever served, um, it was a, a little church in northeast Alberta in a little town called Lac La Biche. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. Okay, the road actually ends at Lac La Biche. It, does, it stops right there. And then if you want more road, you got to wait till the winter when it gets to minus 40 and it stays at minus 40 and doesn't move from minus 40 for about two or three or four weeks. And then it zeroes in around minus 20. I shouldn't say zero. Below zero, minus 20. And that's supposed to be an ordinary wither. So then you get an extra road going up to Fort McMurray. Anyway, now you know the area. In that, then, the town was about 2,500 people. And I remember this lady came into my church one day. Her name was Lorna. She was a single mom with two kids. And her, her former husband had been a terrible, terrible man. She went through this awful season where she finally got to the place where she needed to start her own life. And she was doing that beautifully. And when she came to church... She would lean against the back door in this little sanctuary, just lean against the door. And I thought, oh, isn't that kind of nice? She's just kind of watching her two kids because she had two rambunctious boys. Anybody here got rambunctious boys? Hey, here, you can let them run to the front and dance, okay? Not in that church. <laughs> anyway, so she was leaning, she was watching these kids. And, you know, and then over the course of time, 
she took the membership class, she took a prayer course, and she took uh, a Bible study. She was in three of these things in a week. And, you know, there was never a time where this, it was so clear she was a delightful, lovely Christian lady who wanted to just grow in grace. That's what she wanted. And every time she'd come to any of them, she would lean against the door or she'd lie down. And then we found out that she had a terrible back, just really, really, really bad, terrible back. And we were in the middle of this prayer course. And uh, so at that moment, it was a Sunday night and only five or six people came that night. There was a helicopter repair guy. There was a nurse from obstetrics gynecology. There was a Catholic charismatic lady. And there was one other person named Norma who was kind of a stodgy conservative Presbyterian. And all God's people said, amen. Anyway, so we were all gathered around and Lauren is on the couch. And we're, we're, we're doing a course on prayer. And this had been weeks and weeks and weeks of this. And I think the helicopter pilot said, you know, maybe we should pray for Lord. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so here's what happens. I said, uh, I said, Lauren, do you want us to pray for you? She said, oh, please, I've been waiting. And I said, oh, no, okay. Good for us. Good on her. Anyway, we start to pray. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Suddenly, the manifest presence comes. And her, her body starts to experience an infilling of joy. That's the best. She's starting to shake a little, but she's becoming joyful. And the nurse gynecology lady, her whole body's going like this. She's, I, said, I said, what's going on here? She said, well, I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> the Catholic charismatic lady was moving. And, and then, then somebody said, I just feel rising faith and rising faith. And I don't know. I'd never done this before. I've done it only twice afterwards. This is what happened. I looked at her and suddenly I believed. Do you know what I'm saying? There was a moment, I mean, we have faith generally, and there's a moment where suddenly you know beyond all knowing that a spectacular act of power is about to occur and you're gonna be the instrument through whom it happens. And oh, by the way, I'm not Messiah and I can't do that like tricks or something like this. I just, I just can't. So I looked at her and I said, Lorna, in the name of Jesus, stand up and do deep knee bends. And she jumped up, she did deep knee bends, and then she ran into the sanctuary around the piano and she ran back into the room and she said, oh, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. So she lived two blocks away. She raced home, got her two boys who were 10 and 12. They raced back, they ran around the whole building and then the three of them moved the piano in the sanctuary. So here's what happened. The, the, two days later, she was in for a chiropractic treatment into the, to, the, to, to see the chiropractor there. And the chiropractor was what I call a jaded Catholic. Have you ever met any of those? This just mad at all things, you know, and didn't want to be a Catholic, and his mama had dragged her to Mass. You know, one of these guys who just didn't want to be there. And so she goes in and lies down on the chiropractic couch, and she says, I think I'm well. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, Pastor David and three people prayed for me, and he got mad. He was my chiropractor, too. He got mad. He overcorrected her back. And in front of his eyes, her back became ordinary again that's what he did he went oh and then he laughed and she laughed and she sat up and he said what happened and she said Jesus has healed me now he was a jaded Catholic so he didn't like to admit that but anyway the course of time it became very clear she was surprised he was surprised we got married in Laclabish we had made people drive all the way up there 100 people from my family came to a little town like that anyway uh, I had to get my back adjusted before I went to get married because, you know, can you imagine? I married, didn't throw my back out, but it was bad at that moment. Anyway, I walked in and the guy says, Pastor David, praise the Lord. I said, you're praising the Lord? He said, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you led me to Jesus. I said, what? <laughs> then he told the story about Lord is healing. It was healing by surprise for us. It was healing by surprise for her. It was healing by surprise for that chiropractor. He still didn't like Catholics very much, but I, you know, anyway, I think Catholics are beautiful people and all God's people said. Okay, let's not fight friends, but the point is just this. The gospel narrative is filled with accounts of Jesus of Nazareth healing by surprise. In fact, just about every narrative in the material is healing by surprise. Now, surprise can be absolutely awful. You can be surprised by some terrible medical diagnosis or surprised when you lose your job to get the pink slip. You can be surprised when, uh, when you trip into discovering that your bank account has been plundered or stuff like that. All of us have been through things like that. But you can also be surprised by things that are delightful. Now, I will tell you, my wife can't lie. And if I ask her what my birthday present is, she tells me. This is not the right way. <laughs> That's what, the one time she did manage to surprise me, she decided to get some friends to invite us over for our anniversary to celebrate my birthday two months later, see? And uh, what she did was they invited 75 people and I had already arranged a high-end restaurant, a nice meal out because it was our anniversary. And guys, if you do this, they like you. Did you know that? Okay, so, but I, so I said, I got the high-end restaurant. Let's do something nice for our anniversary. She said, no, those friends of ours have been trying to get us over for a long time. And I was so mad at my wife and them. And then I walked in and they went, surprise, happy birthday. That's the only time. <laughs> anyway, surprise can be a marvelous thing. Now, the best novels are the ones with the surprise ending. If you, you'll buy a novel if you know that you can get all these different threads together and it comes to a climax. The best movies are the ones with the surprise ending. Hopefully, it's a good ending. The best kind of humor is when you're caught up in a story and there's an unexpected outcome and it makes us laugh. It's, you know, the old English word for that is incongruity. When someone is, something absolutely unexpected occurs and we burst out laughing. This is like what the attack rabbit in Monty Python, you know. There's the guys with the armor on, they're going to cross the bridge, and the rabbit says, you can't cross. And they said, well, we got the armor on, you're a rabbit. And the rabbit takes them all out. <laughs> so, of course, it's ridiculous. Anyway, this account in the Gospel of John is about healing by surprise. You have this man who's just there on the ground, and he's been there on the ground for 38 years. 38. And there hasn't been a surprise in 38 years. 38. I, I did this in the end of the last. I'm doing it right now. Uh, how many here are 38 or younger? Anybody stand up and have, your, have the nerve to stand up? I know my daughter's under 38. Anybody else? You're all older? Nobody wants to admit being young. Huh? 38 or younger. So listen, a couple of you, a few of you. That's it. So look, look around. So, so look at all these people. So can you, now you guys look like you love life. Do you love life? Yeah. Can you imagine not having a single day of anything except sickness for all of your life. Have a seat. See the point. The man in this narrative had been sick for 38 years. Now, let me move into what I want to do. I've given you a testimony in my life. I, we read the scripture and heard this from the Bible. I want to give you an historical narrative, and I want to then dive into the Bible so you have it from many fronts, okay? Uh, this account, and others like it, the fellow by the pool of Bethesda was healed by surprise. Now, the other surprise is Jesus didn't heal everybody, just healed the one. There would have been hundreds who were sick there. This has to do with how prayer for healing works. 
I do believe that when you are given an assignment for prayer for healing, you will become conscious and aware of the manifest presence landing on you. And when the manifest presence lands on you and you cooperate with that, astonishing things can happen through you. But you can't do anything unless that's there. You track me on this? This is how it works. And Jesus himself admits this in the narrative. I had uh, Mary end the text at 15, but in 19, the, the clue is, is found there. The Jews are mad at him because this guy's walking around with his bed. And he says to those Jewish people, I can do nothing unless the father shows me. Whatever the father does, the son does in like manner. That's what it says in John 5, 19. Jesus of Nazareth said this. He was healed by surprise and he did healing by surprise. He would cooperate with the anointing whenever the anointing landed on him. And we have two accounts in the Bible where Jesus was absolutely astonished by the faith of the people around him. The centurion and the woman who had the demonized daughter, he was astonished at the faith of those people. And he actually said no, first of all, to the woman with the, with the demonized daughter. And then he got corrected because she, she, was, she was just standing there saying she needed to get this done. And he got a new download from God and away he went and that young girl was saved and delivered. Our God is a God of surprises. Now, I'm gonna to talk to you about this great faith leader. This, by the way, I love your church. I, in fact, let me say it this way. I love our church. It's our church, I'm here, okay? So the reason I'm here is because you guys believe in the word, you guys believe in the spirit, and you let kids dance at the front. Sometimes I want to join them, they, they have, but it wouldn't look very pretty. Anyway, moving on here. I want to tell you a historical story. This story comes from someone who lived just up the street in Chatham, Ontario in the 19th century. All right. He was among the first to rediscover and publish in print the supernatural power of the gospel in the 19th century. Then it was pretty dry territory. There wasn't a lot of things happening back then. Um, there had been, um, there, there, was, there were two schools. One school said, God, don't do that anymore. He did it with the apostles and it ended. You had another group of people who were in the, what they, they now call progressive in those days, liberal. They said, well, those events never really happened, but the early church wrote it back to make Jesus look good. And you had most of Christianity living in those two streams in the 19th century. The thing that shifted it is the story of this man and it's what led to the, the Azua Street Revival and it's what led to the birth of the Pentecostal Assemblies and Charismatic Movement and so on and so forth. So... Um, prior to those events, this man, um, this was the man who discovered, and actually he was in the background to all this mission stuff that covers the planet. The man's work was a foundation so that Christianity, whether it's in the main line or whether it's in, whether it's in classical evangelical churches or whether it's in uh, charismatic expressions, are now open to the power of the spirit because of his writing in the 19th century. His name was Albert Benjamin Simpson. Ever heard of him? A.B. Simpson. If you go down the street to Chatham and you walk into First Presbyterian Church any day of the week, there is this picture hanging on the wall because they have a custom of keeping pictures from everybody who served or was called into the ministry. That picture is still there. Anyway, he was a Canadian fellow from Chatham, just up the street. He was ordained as a Presbyterian pastor. By the way, I don't know if you even begin to understand the magnificent influence of Canadians on the world stage of Christianity. Do you even begin to know that? Albert Simpson came from Chatham. Amy McPherson came from Ingersoll. She founded Church of the Foursquare. She was trained by Albert Simpson. How about that? <laughs> so, and you know, uh, uh, oh man, I could keep going on and on about this, but let me finish this. So 
he found himself becoming desperately ill when he took his first church in Hamilton, Ontario, because he had a lung condition. Now, you can still go to Hamilton, Ontario now and not have as good air as you'd like. But this in perspective, I grew up in St. Catharines. Now, my mom had two sisters living in Toronto. And of course, there's family up there. And whenever we would visit, we would get in the car and drive over the Burlington Bay Skyway. You've probably been in that piece of road. Um, the, the bay is now filled with slag because they use that to separate out the steel from the, from the dirt, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a terrible foul smell when I was a kid. And they were trying to clean it up. And listen, there was always somebody painting that bridge because the chemicals that were in the air when I was a child would rip the paint off and rust the, rust the steel. They had to, if you wanted a full-time job, say, I will paint the Burlington Bay Skyway. And you could do that for the remainder of your days. <laughs> the trouble was you'd have to breathe that air. Now, if it was bad when I was a kid, imagine what it would have been like in the 19th century when nobody thought about the relationship between air pollution and health. Now, he had weakened lungs to start, and uh, so here's what happened. He got desperately ill. He had emphysema and a lung condition, and it got worse and worse and worse. And he just couldn't do his job. Led to a weakened heart. He was the pastor at Knox Presbyterian in Hamilton. And he used to do what I call a robust visitation roster. He would preach, and he would visit, and he would do a membership class, and he couldn't do it. It was getting worse. So he was looking for a church that would give him another chance, and he now had seven years of sermons so he could get his strength up just to be able to visit while he didn't have to work on preaching. Well, he went to Louisville and it was a construction center and manufacturing center and his breath got worse. I mean, it was just awful. So while he was there, he couldn't do his job. He was responsible for healing the town. I don't know if you know this. It was right after the American Civil War. And you, you know this, uh, sons and daughters who sided with the North fought and killed sons and daughters who sided with the South. And that city was right on the Mason-Dixon line. And so churches didn't talk to each other and they knew they needed to get together in the name of the gospel, but they couldn't. And so this Canadian moves in. I said, oh, you're Canadian. You could bring us together. And so they did. <laughs> That's the, the nice guy attitude is really kind of nice, isn't it? Anyway, so he was there, but then his health declined. And he was looking for a church. He had to pay the bills. He had kids. He had his wife. He just couldn't do this. And there was a church in New York City that wanted someone who was very Scottish, waving the blue flag of Scotland to preach nice sermons, and he didn't have to visit. So he said yes to that church. And oh, did they pay him a lot of money. Oh, my. 5,000 bucks American in that day. You know how much it's worth now? This is for RJ's wage. You got that? 300,000 bucks a year. I think he needs the race. <laughs> Mary likes that. <laughs> wow. I mean, we're talking about a well-to-do, well-ordered, wealthy congregation. Broke his heart when they didn't want people who were not Scottish coming. He led 100 Italians to the Lord, and they didn't want them. That's why he founded the Mission Society that I'm going to tell you about. So here's what happened. He, um, he, they wanted a stellar preacher. He was that. He was born, he had a Scottish background. And so they gave him they gave him eight weeks of vacation. Nobody had eight weeks of vacation in the 19th century. His first vacation, he went to a retreat center called Old Archard in a place called Maine. While he was there, he met a medical doctor named Charles Cullis. Cullis believed in medicine, the primitive 19th century kind. This is a long time before antibiotics or even sulfa drugs or even a Tylenol or an Advil. There was, I mean, Florence Nightingale was around that time. 
You know why she succeeded? She made her nurses wash out rooms with bleach and wash their hands. That's the only reason Florence Nightingale had so much success. That's how primitive the medicine was. But Cullis, Cullis had this ability. When the medicine didn't work, he would pray for people and they get healed. It was this remarkable thing. So A.B. Simpson goes there and his denomination said, God, don't do that anymore because it was for the age of the apostles. And he meets 200 healed people. This is called crisis of faith, major crisis of faith. Now, the average life expectancy in that era for men was 48 and for women was 50. So, I mean, that means I'd be dust, okay? But like, just for experiment here, anybody here over 48 for men and over 50 for women, please stand. Nobody wants to. Okay, here we go. If you lived in Canada in 1900, you'd be dead. Have a seat. <laughs> so, now just the thought of that. Anyway, let's go back to this. Cullis discovered that the limited things that he had learned in medical science would not do the job and he would pray for people's healing. And Simpson met the healed. He, he met them. And so he was, it, was, it was a great crisis of faith because he'd studied it. And what am I going to do? So he went off into the woods in Old Orchard. He found a stump to sit on. And he read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation several times while he was sitting on that stump. And he said, God, I have to know if my denomination's right or wrong. I have to know. I have to know. And so he kept reading. And he discovered that in the scripture, there was absolutely no reason to say that Jesus does not heal today. That's what he discovered. Now, of course, it meant he was going to lose his job, right? So this is a big thing. Now, here's what happened. He decided that, number one, God would be pleased for him if he would ask for health. And number two, that divine healing was to be a regular part of the preaching of the gospel. Got that? Now, he said those two things. Now, if your job's on the line and you've got a family to feed... Uh, and you are, you're in love with the Lord, and now he's told you you're going to have to lose your job, what do you do? Well, this is what he did. He made some resolutions. He got a notebook out, and he wrote down three affirmations right after he makes this decision. Here's the first one. This is Presbyterian, 19th century, New York, main language. This is how he talked. As I shall meet thee in that day, I solemnly accept the truth, this truth, divine healing for the mortal body, body as part of thy word and the gospel of Christ and God helping me, I shall never question it until I meet thee there. In other words, it's for now, God, and I'll get her done. That's what he's saying. That's my modern translation of those words. Affirmation two. This one is interesting. This one, I've never seen anybody else write this. I, so this one is really quite astonishing. This is Albert Simpson. Presbyterian pastor who founded the Christian Missionary Alliance and through that came all these spirit movements across the planet. As I shall meet thee in that day, I take the Lord Jesus as my physical life. Say that phrase with me. I take the Lord Jesus as my physical life. Now listen, anybody here want a better body? Hands up. <laughs> so, so this is what he did. He said, my life's a mess. Jesus is my physical life. For all the needs of my body, till all my life work is done and helping me, I shall never doubt that thou dost so become my life and strength for this moment and will keep me under all circumstances until thy blessed coming and until all thy will for me is perfectly done. In other words, I'm going to live with Jesus being my, help, my healer. That's what he said. 
That was his second affirmation. But the language is unique. Taking Jesus' health as my physical life. That's, you might want to underline that and, and remember that. Third affirmation. As I shall meet thee in that day, I solemnly agree to use this blessing for the glory of God and the good of others and to speak of it or minister in connection with it in any way in which God may call me or others may need me in the future. In other words, I will always at a moment's notice drop everything and engage in prayer for healing for the advance of the gospel. You got that? So I, I remember that, that little town, Laclabish. I remember I was learning about prayer for healing, pretty new at it. And, um, and I went into the grocery store. There was only two in town. And uh, I, there was a lady in front of me who was one of my parishioners, a uh, retired lady, and I was in my 20s in those days. I remember looking at her, and there was the, 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 the teller at the, at the till there was nominally connected to my church, somebody who said her parents came, but she didn't come. And so I said, Annie, how you doing? She said, oh, Pastor David, it's terrible. I've got this awful thing, and the docs can't heal me. And suddenly, I said, let's pray. And I grabbed the hand of the teller, and I put my hand on her shoulder. I said, Jesus, the lady needs health. Heal her right now. Do it. She got healed on the spot. The teller had never seen anything like that before. Neither had I. <laughs> so this, this instant kind of thing. The Lord can do that. That's the affirmations that Albert Simpson made to establish the movement that would then cover the earth. Now, after writing these three pledges out and committing to them, and he had them in a journal, and then he put them on a card, and he always kept them with him all the time, and he would reread them all the time until they became memorized. That's what he did with these three vows. So after writing them out, and he's still sitting in that log in Old Orchard, uh, something happened to him. He felt the Holy Spirit. Now, let, I'm going to describe where it is in the scripture, but I want you to understand this. Most of the times when God speaks to you and me, most of the time when language is given, when God directs you, it's not in English or French or whatever your language is. It's primarily through presence. Does that make sense? Presence grows large. And then thoughts and ideas come into your brain. So this is what he felt. He felt this increase of presence. So here's his language. I arose. It had only been a few minutes. I knew that something was done. Every fiber of my soul was tingling with a sense of God's presence. I do not know whether my body felt better or not. I did not care to tell it. It was so glorious to believe it simply and to know that henceforth he had it in hand. That is called the testimony of the Spirit. Say it, the testimony of the Spirit. So let me describe the testimony of the Spirit. And I may not do more history. I think I'm just supposed to talk about the application point. I wanted to dive into the John passage, but let's do this. You receive this internal knowing, and it's more than a knowing. It is an absolute conviction it is where suddenly you have faith to so as to remove mountains and you know that when you have been tapped on the shoulder and the assignment is yours, it's yours. It just grows inside of you and I'll, I'll try to describe it. Uh, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm happy for you to give me better language. English works as far as it goes, but it, I, I don't even know if you see green the same way I see green. Maybe your green looks pink and mine, mine looks green. I don't know, but... Language tries to wrap its brain around how we understand each other. So with me, when a gift of faith comes, it is where suddenly I am beside myself looking at myself. I become aware that I am filled with the faith to be able to do or speak or say or enter into whatever the issue that it happens to be. 
it is combined with focus. I get totally and completely focused on the object of my intercession or assignment, whatever it happens to be. It's married together with compassion that rises inside of me. Very often I will cry and there'll be a corner, a tear in the corner of my eye, fiery heat and presence and joy, and sometimes either anguish if the person's in grief or laughter if the person's having fun. Does that make sense? All of that comes together in this divinely appointed moment of focus where you get a gift of faith as the Spirit's testifying through who you are as a person. Now, so I'm gonna put this on the screen. The testimony of the Spirit occurs when, number one, a believer commits fearlessly to the Word's clear teaching. Underscore that. You can be distracted by emotion. You cannot be distracted when God uses the Bible. You got that? So it's, this is joined to the Spirit's internal witness, the things that I just tried to describe to you in, in modern language. The believer feels it. The, the 19th century guys called that blessed assurance, that old hymn. They would feel this kind of assurance, right? And so uh, let's, let's do this so you can see it. This is word. Put your hand up. This is word. Say that. Put this one other up. This is spirit. And when God talks to me, this is assurance. Word and spirit testified together inside the soul of the believer. That's called the witness or the testimony of the spirit. The best example of the combination of word and spirit is a single verse found in Luke 24, 32. As Jesus is speaking to the two guys or two, I don't know, maybe, maybe male, maybe, sorry. It could be male, female, could be two guys, we don't know. Cleopas and someone else. Maybe his wife, maybe a companion, we don't know. They're going, this is the Emmaus Road. Jesus has just died. They have watched the crucifixion and it was horrible. It was awful, it was terrible. This is Resurrection Sunday, but uh, these two people have heard that some of the women are saying that they saw Jesus alive and they don't know what to do. Now, you know this, listen, if you have a loss or something goes wrong, do you talk to your God? Tell me. What happens if your God is dead? Who do you talk to? These two guys going down the road. They're talking to each other because they don't know who to talk to. You know what I'm saying? It's just this awful anguish. They have heard these women who are of good character saying that he's risen. They think it's wishful thinking. They can't put it together. And then suddenly Jesus appears. By the way, it's the greatest ripped off again scenario in the entire Bible. You get Jesus of Nazareth standing beside you for two hours while you're walking and you don't know it's him. Anyway, they go into the room. He breaks the bread. They recognize it's him and then he leaves. They can't ask him any other questions. Anyway, then they say this interesting phrase about what was happening inside of them. And this is the testimony of the spirit. Read the language of Luke 24, 32. We're not, our, have we got it on the screen? There it is, yeah, the one that's kind of in light text. I think I should have made it darker, but see if you can make it out. We're not our hearts, say it with me. We're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. Now, if you have a paper Bible or if you can do a marker on your phone, make this verse central. I'll tell you why. It's got four things in it. So they were speaking about the resurrection of the dead from the Bible, pointing to Christ. All this happened. So Jesus was telling them about the Bible. Got that? He was telling them about the Bible. They were feeling an internal fire in their hearts 
as Jesus talked about the Bible. The Bible and the interior experience pointed them to the resurrection of Jesus and they felt it together. Four marks for the Spirit's testimony. I'm going to say it again. They were listening to the Bible. They felt an internal witness. It pointed to the resurrection of Jesus and they felt it together. This is one of the best scriptures about hearing the voice of Jesus. That's entire scripture. This one's important. Well, Simpson felt something just like that on that mountain. He started to climb. So he, so he gets this thing in the woods. He goes into town. He tells Cullis this thing has happened. He gets invited to preach on a church on the Sunday. And there was a bunch of people who wanted to climb a mountain after church so they could have a picnic on a 4,000 foot you know, uh, top here. So Simpson says, why? Sure. Even though he's got emphysema in a lung condition, he starts to climb the mountain. He gets higher and higher and higher. And as he gets higher, his left arm starts to have trouble. He feels terrible pain. All the marks of a heart attack. Suddenly he says to God, oh God, you can heal me in heaven or you can heal me on earth. I have just read your word. I would love it if you would heal me on earth. And a fiery heat came down on his head. Uh, you can see it happened to me too. Anyways, it's all, it's all good. A fiery heat came down on his head. And then the heat moved down into his heart and it expanded out. And suddenly all the pain of the heart attack was gone. He took a deep breath. His lungs filled for the first time in decades. He climbed to the top of the mountain, had himself a meal, came back down. And then this guy started to travel the earth in the 19th century. He went to 60 nations in the 19th century. This guy traveled over mountain passes with a donkey and an ax to plant a church in Mongolia in the 19th century. Now, you know, Pastor Larry, he's down there in Latin America. He got to take a plane. Can you, can you imagine if he had to, you know, get a boat, you know, and go all the way through the Great Lakes and around and get yourself down to, you know, down to Panama. And once you go through Panama, now, if in the old days, there was no Panama Canal. So all the way down to Tierra del Fuego and all the way back up to get to the, to the coast of South America. And then he gets a donkey and an axe. I'm going to do missions. <laughs> That's how Simpson did it after his body was healed. That's how he did it. He preached in 60 countries and he founded the CMA. And out of the CMA came the Pentecostal assemblies. Out of the Pentecostal assemblies came all kinds of amazing spirit movements across the planet, including, I think, WCF. That's how it happened. And it all began in Chatham, Ontario with a sickly Presbyterian and all God's people said, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Our God is a God of surprises. I'm out of time, but I want to tell more stories. Listen, there's more stories about prayer for healing in this book. The two I told you today aren't in the book. My wife's healing story is in here. And there's a card here. If you want to pick up a card to be in touch with me, it's got the healing prayer on one side, but it has a QR code in the other. But uh, let me tell you very quickly about, about what went on with this man who was healed by the pool. He was 38 years sick. You got that? Now, I don't know what you've been doing for 38 years. But if it's been destructive and it's been nasty and it's been long and it's been something that just filled you with anguish and you don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life, Christ the healer would ask you the same question, do you want to be well? Now, I always thought it was a dumb question because, you know, 38 years, you know, of course you want my thought, of course you want to be well, but think about it. The guy was 12 when he got sick. He's 50. 
He's never lifted a shovel. He's never had to read a book. He doesn't know how to do accounts. He doesn't know how to mix with the public. He has never built something with his hands. Jesus of Nazareth is saying to him, 38 years of nothing but grinding despair. Do you want that done? So that you can start again 10 years past the time when everybody's alive. Do you want to do that? The man says, oh, I can't get in the pool, but please. And the next thing you know, Jesus heals him. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to be well? Do you want all the stuff that is so negative and so grinding and so ugly and so awful and has been pushing you down for decades and decades? Do you want that gone? Jesus does too. <laughs> he, he wants that for you too. And oh, by the way, if, you, if you're seasoned in this, I'll make the other application. Simpson's vow was that he would tell everyone tell. It doesn't matter if they were young or old or in between, if he was mocked or if he was joyfully received. He just told everyone. Are you prepared to embrace the gospel of healing as an ordinary part of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So that in a second, in a, in a, in, you know, if you bump into someone in a grocery store line and they want you to pray, you will just do it right there. Are you prepared to do that? Jesus wants you to do that. So there's really, there's two applications here that come out of this. I know we're gonna have communion. But now the, the one weakness here, when you do communion, it makes it hard to do the prayer thing, see? We'll do both? Okay, well, all right, let's, let's uh, so I want you to, let, let's do this. There's a lot of people here. Stand, anybody here want to be well? Put your hand up. Okay, look at all of you. All right, so here's, I want you to all stand up and I want three or four or five people to gather, put your hand back up if you want to be well. And then people gather around them. We're not gonna be able to do all this at the front. Gather around right now. Gather, walk up to somebody with their hand up and pray with them. And we're gonna pray for the manifest presence to move. Let's do that. We're, gonna, we're not gonna go long. If you wanna linger longer after communion, we will do this at the front, okay? But right now, we're gonna do it right where you are. And uh, you, now, by the way, you can't demand a miracle, but you can most certainly cooperate with one. And all God's people said. So if the manifest presence does not land on you, please do not bluff your prayer, okay? Say, we have prayed, we'll ask again, and be kind to your friends. If, on the other hand, you, you sense something's supposed to happen, you can come to the front at the close of the service. We'll pray longer, and we'll do that here. And if there's nothing that happens here, we'll set up a personal prayer time, we'll do that. But let's just do it right now. So put your hands on those people, and let's ask. Um, yeah, Jesus, do it. Move. Move. Anoint, bless. Father, the question of the text was the question you asked me, do you want to be well? That's how I got healed. My answer was, yeah, my daughter needs me. My wife needs me. My son needs me. Yes. Let the second half happen. The Spirit of God flow over this church right now. The Spirit of God flow over this church right now. Jesus, thank you. Move with your anointing. Move with your presence.
I don't have to tell you to be the healer because you are. Manifest your healing because that's what you do. Do that. In Jesus' name. I'm aware that we need to, some need to linger because you're beginning to, I'm also aware some need to go. So Pastor RJ, come on up. We'll do the communion. Anybody who wants to linger for prayer can linger after we've done this. You feel led, bro. Same way? Okay. Father, as we come to the table today, Pastor David's demonstrated and shown us faith. He's built faith. He's talked about what you've done for him and his family, what he's seen happen in the lives of others, what the scriptures teach historically. And today, Father, I thank you that you've built faith into the hearts of the men and women in this room. And Lord, as we come to the table to celebrate your death, your word says that by the stripes of Jesus, they were for our healing. So Father, we declare healing, wholeness, life, strength, Sickness and disease must bow to the name of Jesus right now. Tumors and cancers disappear. Blood purified. Life comes forth. Infections are clearing up and wounds are healing in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that mental health is also restored in this moment. That the peace of Christ rules and reigns in every mind, in every heart. Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53, confirmed in Matthew 8, talks about his stripes, his physical wounds being our healing. It says it in Isaiah 53, and in Matthew 8, there's a string of healing miracles, and it ends with that text. It's the blood that brings the healing. It's the wounds of Jesus joined together with the prayers of the faithful that causes word and spirit to come together to perform miraculous acts of power. And so take this element, this grape juice, take this and remember, he is the healer, he is the forgiver, he is the restorer, he is the redeemer, he is the savior. He is the one who buys back what cannot be paid for. And he's the one who did it with his own blood to make us well. Give thanks and take this and receive. So if I have any um, pastors or elders or prophetic team people that pray, please come to the front right now. We're going to be opening the altar. If you want prayer for whatever reason, please come down. They'll lay hands on you and pray the prayer of faith. Windsor Christian Fellowship, as we go out into the culture, as we go back to our lives, let's be alert to the guiding of the Spirit. Let's be obedient. Let's commit to be obedient when he says, go pray for that, go pray for that person. And let's not put off the things. Let's be obedient in the moment. 
Pastor David will have a table out there if you want to go talk to him after or pick up his book. When's a Christian fellowship? You've been equipped. Now go. Go.